0: There are two readings today, the first one from Zechariah, chapter 3 and verses 1 through to 10. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan standing at his right side to accuse him. The Lord said to Satan, The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebu- rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from <clears> him? <throat> now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. The angel said to those who were standing before him, take off his filthy clothes. Then jo- he said to Joshua, see, I have taken away your sin, and I'll put, you- put rich garments on you. Then I said, put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him while the angel of the Lord stood by. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. This is what the Lord Almighty says. If you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will give you a place among those standing here. Listen, O high priest Joshua and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. I am going to bring my servant, the branch. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. There are seven eyes on that one stone, and I will engrave an inscription on it. Says the Lord Almighty And I will remove the sin of this land in a single day In that day each of you will invite his neighbour To sit under his vine and fig tree and, and fig tree declares the Lord Almighty Then we move on to Second Corinthians chapter 7 And verses 8 through to 9 Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter I do not regret it Though I did regret it I see that my letter hurt you but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance. That leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. This is the Word of God. All
1: right, let's go go on from what we've been talking about. We've been talking about... The enemy's tactics. And last week we talked about temptation. We started talking about because we we said that a few basic things we need to know about our faith, and some of those things really we need to look at now and again. And one of them was temptation, and we. And we talked about this, the definition. The definition's a ripper. I I found that these are the five things that helped me most about temptation, okay? First one is this. The invitation to have legitimate human needs met through resources of the world, the flesh, of the devil, rather than through Christ. Now, you might have to read that if you make that bit of sense of it. But the idea that you end up with this lovely opportunity or that invitation to meet your needs outside of the Lord rather than using him as your main source and your main you know energy or your main main source really of all of all that you need uh, we're going to talk about the illustration again in a minute and particularly direct it to one one thing but this is maybe the biggie maybe the biggie is this that the Lord is for us he's really not hiding anything from us he's not withholding anything from us and he wants life and life to the full for us and, in fact, his way is just the best way. If we can nail that down, if we can truly nail that down and make sure that in our hearts and souls we are convinced of that, then perhaps temptation really hasn't gonna, isn't going to have a hold on us and accusation isn't going to get a hold on us and deceit isn't going to get a hold And so that we would actually seek out more and more to find out what he's thinking and how he thinks and therefore it becomes the way we think and how we think and therefore things work out a lot better. Then again, we went on and we talked about stopping before you start. You know, that that, uh, passage out of James where we said that it was just a process. You know, it starts and then it gets conceived and then it gets into full-blown sin. And so if you stop before you start, and that magnificent bit of input from my dear lady in the car, and she (laughs) said, one's too many, two's not enough. I really, I still like that. I still, I don't know whether you like it, but I like it. So you've got to stop before you start because once you've had one, it's too many because you can't stop at one. You've got to have two or three or four. That's what she was talking about. And then submit before you resist it. Submit, su- submit to God, resist the devil. He will flee from you. But you've got to get the order right. You've got to submit before you resist. And once you've submitted, well, maybe that's the whole story about uh, spiritual warfare in a lot of ways that might be that that's probably all that's needed today all right today we're going to talk about accusation now this is a an amazing sort of a, a thing where again satan exerts really quite a subtle form of control in our lives and the Listerine principle how many people have heard about the Listerine story this is a great story and you really need to, need to sort of stop and listen. Listerine are the ones that change advertising forever, okay? And this is their story. The tale of Listerine is unique in advertising history, not because it was so different, but because it was so successful for so long. Here is one of the first times that advertising really did create a cure. But of course, to make a cure, it had to first create the disease isn't that astounding and so what they did was this they implied that everybody had bad breath and you needed to heal this halitosis this disease of halitosis and it caught on something amazing and they went from being a hundred and fifteen thousand dollar a year company to be a eight million dollar a year company overnight because they implied they sold this lie to everybody that you've got bad breath you've got bad breath you've got bad breath you've got you need Listerine you need Listerine and they had this wonderful advertising where the poor old girl the unmarried Edna and they had this advertising advertisement in many papers with poor old sad unmarried Edna she remained single as she watched her friends get married it wasn't that she wasn't a great girl it's just that she had this halitosis okay now the trouble is the trouble is That still is one of those things that we half believe, don't we? We still want to make sure... We check our breath. In fact, I even did it just a little while ago. I said, hey, and if I got bad breath? I have. And she, she's my halitosis checker rather than the Listerine. But isn't that amazing? And we also know that if anyone says to you, you've got halitosis, well, it takes romance out of it immediately. You just haven't got anything. if you got bad breath? And isn't that amazing that they've actually created a disease and then they've provided the cure for it? Now, in a funny sort of way, they, they accuse you of those sorts of things, and straight away, we believe it. We believe the lie. But in fact, it, it is a lie. In fact, the majority of people don't have any sort of bad breath, and you don't need those sorts of things. All right, so that's the first thing. It's the halitrosis principle in this, that you actually end up being accused of something that is just plain not true. Okay? Just plain not true, and you don't have to worry about it at all. Okay. Now, some of this seems a little bit like psychology. I don't. I don't I want to make sure that we say something quite... I, we're not psychologists. We don't ever try and pretend to be psychologists. In fact, we say to people this. We say, we might be able to help you along step one or two, which I think everybody here would be able to do that, of what might end up being an eight or a nine or a ten-step program. and But we don't ever pretend, or we would never try to, take you beyond what is a normal sort of thing for us And, and we haven't really got that training, we'd never do that so we want to look at some of these things that again have been a great help to me in order to be able to overcome this sort of thing or accusation and again we always have to keep in mind a couple of other things the best lies contain with them nuggets of truth, enough to give the listener pause. George Martin said that. And we sort of know that too, don't we? We know that, in fact, uh, if something is said of you, 99% of it could be wrong, but just that one little bit is the thing that messes you up, because you know that that's... All right, so we've got to be careful. The enemy's no fool, and he throws that things at us along those lines. His tactics are to throw things at you that just might have something, or that you might be susceptible to believing, okay? They might not have anything in it, but you might be susceptible to believing. And some things we, uh, are so off that they simply don't even touch us, you know? They, they really, we know straight away that they are plain rubbish. And we've had uh, letters to our churches days in Corio and Bunningong days. A letter to the church came not so long ago that it was just so off-key off so way out that we just didn't even consider it. We read it and we sort of almost laughed at it because that's what it was. We've had people in on and on days accuse us of something. We had a lady came who wanted to be baptised. Now, I'm usually very, very generous with that when someone comes and wants to be baptised because we think the Lord, as soon as she steps into that circumstance, then the Lord can do something with her. You know, she's, she makes herself vulnerable. There was something about this that made me say, do you mind not doing it on Sunday and coming back and having another talk to her. Anyway, she went down the f- to the phone box down the street and rang us and gave me a blast that you wouldn't believe. She said, you are the most miserable-hearted. And she said a few words that I might not just repeat right here and now, but she said, you, and she went on and on and on, and I was the phone out, And then she hung up and said, I'll never come back there again. As it turned out, she was, she was, a, she was a follower of a native Indian-American religion, and she wanted to experience all the different baptisms were possible experience. And there was something, there was a hesitation in us which made us do that. Now, now when she got off the phone, it didn't really worry us at all. It was something that was so, so far out that it didn't really worry us. And so those sorts of things do exist. We've also had a fellow in Bunningong who who used to really be cranky that we didn't have more altar, he said you've got to have more altar, you've got to get out there and you've got to knock on doors and and he was really persistent in that and he'd send emails about how terrible we were and all that sort of stuff and one bloke came to me, not him but one of his other fellows, he said you're lucky to have that bloke in you know." and I said hold on a minute, that's a different sort of luck that I'm looking for I think and he said no let me explain it to you, he said that fellow brings a really good point of difference to a contrast. He says you they see him and they say see you and then they can choose. They know where they're gonna go. And in fact, the trouble is with that he was he was a fellow who lost his reputation because of what he did, and somehow, for a crazy sort of an idea, we sort of gained reputation because of what he was doing. Isn't that funny? That sort of happens as well, those sort of accusations. But really, that's not that sort of accusation that we're talking about today. We're not talking about those big accusations. Does everyone, anyone remember David Pawson? Really, we really loved what, what some of the things he talked about. I remember one day he, he was saying that he was complaining to the Lord because this rumor went around Britain because he was a Baptist minister from Britain and and this false rumor went around, and the Lord, He said, seemed to say to him, "Well, it's just lucky they don't know the truth about you, isn't it?" <laughs> and that's really held me in good stead too, because if let me tell you, if any of our minds were just open up to be read and understood and known, I mean, people would just wouldn't there are millions now they'd never you know we put on a very nice face, but a lot of our thought isn't really up to it. All right, so it's not that sort of accusation today. Right, the definition. This is the sorts of things that help me. Charging you with a fault, laying a blame. It's the you stuff. You know, you never, you always sort of stuff. Something that they're actually trying to get into your heart and give you a, a cause to be a little bit under under in a problem. There. It's so self-deprecation, disapproval, or condemnation. That's the sort of thing we're talking about today. Um, thoughts that's sown into your head that are negative, inferior. And so often can lead to debilitating dislike of ourselves. Does anyone sort of suffer with that? We do, don't we? We all suffer with that every now and again. That in, so internal, in our, in our hearts, there's something going on where we just don't like ourselves all that much. And it's nagging self-talk that really puts us down. That's what we're going to talk about. Where We sort of think of ourselves as not qualified. We're not, no, not important. We can't do that. We're simply just no good. And the truth is, we believe it in our hearts, up to a point. Up to a point. JJ's got this ripper inside. Our, this is our daughter-in-law. Okay, she was. Um, this is. She was doing this the other day. You remember last week we talked about AM, FM, and Triple M. Do you remember that? And who you tune into? I bet there's a few people were worried here. AM is the accuser's message. Um, FM is the father's message, and Triple M is me, my message. And she was having this thought pattern in her head, which was really. Derogative to herself and really putting herself down. And it was as though God said to her, I've sort of tried to modify that a bit, but God said to her in whatever way He did to tell her, and He said to her, If you talked about anybody else on the face of this earth like that, then you would be rightly accused of bullying. Isn't that interesting? And she thought, That's true, you know, if I talked about anyone else except myself. I'd be rightly accused of bullying and I'd be in a bit of strife. Nathan McKenzie, he's another kid who, who we, I contact fairly regularly. He's a mate of one of my sons and we were talking to him yesterday and he was saying this along those lines. Do you ever preach the gospel to yourself? Do you ever actually get out and say, hang on a minute, hang on a minute, Tom Buscombe, God loves you. You are a son of the king. You have been and so you start to actually tell yourself the things that you would tell other people. And you preach the gospel to yourself. Alright, so those, those are really good insights, really. But in Christ, we are important and qualified, and we can do that, and we are good. You know, those sorts of things are true. But you've got to have make sure that in Christ is in capital and bold letters there. Because as of ourselves, we're really nothing. It's only as we walk with the Lord that we become the sorts of people that God can use and that we are people who are really in that sort of position. Now Neil Anderson's civil illustration. We, we talked about this last week but we're going to do it slightly different this week and we're going to uh, do it re- remaining talking about accusation but I've got four pieces of paper here that I need read out and let me just set up the uh, the the what was going on again, because this is a great illustration. and this is one of those illustrations that has helped me and will continue to help me right throughout my life. But because there's a few people who have changed this year, this week from last week, let me say. It's like this. Neil Anderson suggests this that, Um, you are standing on the the end of one long narrow street lined both sides with two storey houses at one end of the street stands Jesus Christ and your Christian life is the process of walking down that long street of maturity towards Him. absolutely nothing in that street can keep you from reaching Jesus so when you receive Christ you fix your eyes on him and start walking the trouble is though that the world is under the dominion of Satan and the two rows of houses on either side are inhabited by beings who are committed to keeping you from reaching your goal. They have no power or authority to block your path or even slow your step, so they hang out of the windows and call to you, hoping to turn your attention away from your goal and disrupt your progress by tempting you, accusing you, and by deceiving you. All right, now this is what we're going to do. The deception we're talking about today is going to come... Now, let's go through it today. Now, we're only talking about the sorts of accusations that we're talking about. Right, let's go go. So I'm Tom, walking along, nothing in the road.
0: Tom, when you walk into a room, people think, look at that long stretch of misery. But there's not much to him.
1: Ooh, don't like that. All right. Hand it on to Matty. Mat- and so that's the sort of thing that's often those are the sorts of things that might come into your, into your heart, into your, into your soul for unreasonableness. Matty. Tom, i tell you the truth. No one likes you all that much.
0: They think you're
1: a... All right, all right. Now, I know we're sort of making a bit of a joke of these, but in fact, those sorts of words, those sorts of things that are said over your heart and said over your life, and you might tend to agree with them. Listen to this one, though. Over the past two days, you have gossiped about Reg, refused to give money to that bloke at the petrol station. Your thought life was like a rough nut from King's Cross. You got angry with Anne, and you stretched that truth when you are talking to Lyle. Liar. And you stand up there trying to tell us how to live. Alright, now, now we, I can probably reject those two just offhand, but this one just might have a grain of truth in her it? so we might just make sure that we be a bit careful with that. I want to come back to that one towards the end, and there's one more, and, and just listen to this one too. This is the sort of thing that comes into our hearts sometimes.
0: You haven't prayed in three days. God is really cheesed off at you in fact he's nearly had enough of you
1: well isn't that amazing in fact Anne and I sometimes sit down to pray and we the first thing we say is oh Lord I know we haven't talked to you for a while we we actually really grit our teeth and we say Lord we haven't talked to you a while Would you forgive us? And and of course, it's just an open invitation. We we end up having prayer time and you feel so much better after you do. But that is really a possibility. Those sorts of accusations, those things that are sown into your heart and you start to think, oh, there's a bit of truth in that. Oh, really, don't people really like me? They think I'm a peanut. Oh, you know, that sort of thing. All right, let's keep going. This passage, this is one of those precedence passages. You know when we started talking about precedence, legal precedence a while back, and my daughter-in-law said, This is what happens. You know, you set a precedence, unless it is appealed and upheld, it stands. Well, this is one of these passages a bit like that. No one's ever appealed on it. In fact, not only that, it came to pass. It really is one of those things that ended up being what we enjoy. All right, so the Zechariah passage. It's also but we want to remember these verses as well. And one is that uh, Jesus always lives to intercede for us in Hebrews uh, chapter 7 and the other one in Revelation where Satan is described as the accuser of the brethren who accuses them day and night before God. All right, that immediately we see that. Don't you find, and you must with me, find that that is a really a bit of an odd thing? We don't quite understand that. I can't find an answer for it. I don't know what the answer for it is, but Satan in God's presence accusing us God puts up with that for a time, certainly, but there will be a time when he says enough. That will be enough. Out of my presence, Satan, you are you're cast out forever. You know, there will be a time for that. But at the moment, we somehow have to put up with that. All right, so in this passage, this is what happens. The high priest Joshua representing all of God's people, and he's the defendant, and the judge is God the Father the prosecutor is Satan he's standing in his right hand to accuse him he doesn't really get a chance there the defence attorney is Jesus. you don't really see that I'm just taking that from the Hebrews that he's always there to intercede for us um, but, but in the, the other thing is that here's Joshua with filthy garments now that's unheard of really for the high priest he would not go into the presence of the Lord with, with filthy garments in fact they had a rope tied around him and bells on him so that they could pull him out if he was struck dead because of that sort of a problem so that was really unheard heard of. In this instance, though, you probably couldn't get clean enough in a, in a real sense before God. God had to do something rather than he just cleaning yourself up. Um, it's almost as though Satan is about to accuse him. He's filthy, he says, and he, he deserves to be struck dead. That's almost what's been happening there. And then God rebukes Satan and he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? Isn't that a great passage? We, we sometimes bring that up again and again and again, and we, and we sort of use that sort of imagery that has happened to all of us. As all of us have been like that. We've been a burning stick snatched from the fire. We, we could have ended up anywhere in the world. We've ended up because God has plucked us out and put us on our own two feet and called us sons and daughters along those. Subtle problem is this, though. Just as Satan... Um, accuses before God his messages really give us those thoughts in our head of thoughts of unworthiness unrighteousness in God's sight inability and all of that sort of stuff that sort of comes in and if we take too much notice then we actually think their sentences to be served or lived out until we die or until the Lord returns or we are raptured all right but this is really very important what we have to remember we just have to remember this Satan is not our judge he is simply our accuser And in fact, we just do not have to put up with the judgments that he tends to lie on us. We don't have to put up with the fact that everyone thinks I'm peanut. We don't have to put up with all of those sorts of things. We simply understand that he's accusing us, and therefore we just don't have to believe the lie. We don't have to live the lie. We simply do not have to do that. Then the third one is what God does for us is just graphically described in these verses and this is really the, the whole idea of what we get on about and God is the only one who can really do this He is the only one who can actually take off the filthy garments I've taken away your sin I'll put rich garments on you. He replaces all of our filthy garments and our unrighteousness and we clothe him. We get clothed with his righteousness. Now when you start talking about that, what it's talking about is his decency and his uprightness, his virtue and those sorts of things. You know that's what we're talking about with that righteousness. We're not talking about something that's sort of uh, we don't understand, but we walk around now because we're walking with the Lord with his decency, his Uprightness, His virtues, the sorts of, those are the sorts of things that we actually now are inherited and can rely on as a part of our, our sort of nature and our ability. That's the sort of thing that happens. This is changes. And then he calls us to respond and he says to Joshua, if you walk in my ways and keep my requirements, then you will govern and have charge over Listen, O oh High Joshua, you are symbolic of the things to come, which of course did come when the Lord came, and, and therefore we are the benefactors of that very, very thing. To walk in this new identity that God's given us, and we aren't left as orphans to work it out ourselves, we walk in the Spirit of God. It's, it's just a fantastic... And this though, and this is very important, what is the difference between the devil's accusation And the Holy Spirit's conviction, because they may well feel very much the same. And so what Bernard's read out there, can you read out those again, please, Bernard? Did you get the, let me just go through them one at a time. So you gossiped about Reg. No, it's rubbish, I didn't. I don't, I don't have to listen to that. Just put that away and just rip (laughs) it up keep going. You refused to give money to that bloke at the petrol station. Oh well, I did do that. I walked straight past him and in fact not <laughs> that it embarrassed me because I sort of recognised him. I reckon it was some, one of those blokes from that meal we had out, out at, the, uh, at the Wesleyan church. I reckon he was sitting there and that made me stop and I thought oh, I hope he doesn't recognise me. So I uh-huh. did. That's so I did do that. All right mm. so keep going. Your thought life was like a rough nut from King's Cross. Well I didn't. I don't even know what a rough enough <laughs> King's Cross thought like. I can only imagine. I didn't go there too much. But you got
0: angry with Anne.
1: Well, it's her fault. So, <laughs> so that's okay too. That's not my... That's not, I didn't... That wasn't my problem. at all. It was Anne's fault. That's not anyone else. And then you stretched that truth when you were talking to Lyle. Liar. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't talked to Lyle for two weeks. And have we? Have we? See? there's the proof so I don't have to worry about that so there's a few of those things but if in fact there's a bit of truth in that one with Anne got cranky with Anne and didn't give the money this is what this is what we do All right, 2 Corinthians 7 9 and 10 says this but Lyle started just a little bit earlier than that godly sorrow brings about repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death now this is what this is a lovely passage i really like this repentance without regret sorrow and perhaps real deep sorrow even psalm 51 type sorrow you know when when uh was just saying oh lord don't take the holy spirit from me forgive me don't don't leave take your presence from me that sort of deep sorrow but it ends in freedom and so what do I do with something that just might have a bit of truth in it? What do I do with it? You'll, you'll be able to tell me. Right? You do. You try and fix it up. What else? Anything else? Repent. And you confess it. Confess it, Repent it. And then, what else do you do after that? Get on with it. Get on with it. That's what you do, don't you? All right. So if it's from Satan, it ends with bondage, less productivity, less effectiveness, a feeling of being captured or limited along those lines. Do you feel condemned, worthless, stupid, inept? your feelings drive you into the ground to make you ineffective, well, resist and reject them. You don't have to you don't have to put up with them because it's only the accuser, it's not the judge. You don't have to live with that sort of rubbish. Satan's key weapons are temptation, the promise to fulfill legitimate needs through illegitimate means, accusation, you're rotten to the core, he keeps telling you that, deception, did God really say that? We might talk a bit about that next week but these are the fab four of accusation okay we just want to make sure we get these and we hold on to them first of all the definition knowing the problem where it comes from is halfway to dealing with it so often those accusations those things that come into your head those things that you think are just rubbish and they don't come from any good source so you don't have to worry about them he simply accuses it's not a judgment or a sentence to be served Uh, god is the judge and he snatches us from the fire and we end up with his decency and his uprightness and we end up different people because of it as long as we remain connected to him and walk in the spirit and and as long as it's in christ you know that whole idea we will want want to talk a bit more about that next or two weeks time when we want to talk a bit about humility just to bring that balance any truth in it confess repent restore maybe forgive and then you get on with living. It's the Brother Lawrence principle again, isn't it? You know, you just don't hang on to it, you just let it go, and you get on with living, and you live life and life to the because that's what God's after. Let's finish there. All right, so that's the second tactic, this idea of accusation. We talked about temptation, talked about accusation. We might talk a little bit about deception. If we see how that goes. All right, let's pray. Lord, can I just um, roughly go through the, that idea of what accusation is? Now, we're talking about that idea of of those thoughts that are sown into our heads and sown into our hearts and believe them even though they're not true. Lord, can we this week just practice that idea of discerning what is true and what is not true and deal with it accordingly? And say, so, Lord, when we hear things about ourselves that are simply not true, can we resist and reject those? Submit to you. If we hear things that uh, do need to be dealt with may we just be able to deal with it very quickly and get on with it confess it and restore and repent and, you know forgive if that's necessary and get on with it. Lord what we probably don't want to say just now is this that we give you permission to sow into our lives we give you permission to work us through those over this neck to practice those. Before we go though, Lord I, I guess what I've been wanting to say for a couple of weeks to you and I have been saying it um, in private but the truth of it is to the fact that you um, have done something in our lives that transports us from the dominion darkness into the, the wonderful world of light that you exist and that we become sons and daughters of, your, of you, that is just, it is so good that we just would not want to trade it for anything, Lord. Just let us to learn how you think. May we become men and women after your heart. May we become a church after your heart so that we know what that is and therefore can respond accordingly. We just commit ourselves to you for that purpose, Lord, and we do that in Jesus' name too.